0: A big hello to everyone listening into to episode 9 of my Hard Yards podcast. Thanks for listening in to this live recording tonight of an episode, whether it's your first or your ninth episode. Thank you very much for listening in. I know this week's guests will draw plenty of attention from our golfing fans because we haven't talked golf on the podcast yet. So thanks for joining us and make sure you hit the subscribe button or follow along in whatever platform you listen to your podcast on so you never miss any of the upcoming episodes either. Tonight's guest really needs no introduction. He's one of Australia's elite golfing products and our only ever US Masters champion. It's none other than a resurgent Adam Scott, who is currently the number 6th ranked golfer on the planet. He's joining me from his COVID hideout on the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Australia. Hey Adam, and uh, thank you very much for joining us on Hard Yards Episode 9. How are you this evening? I'm very well, Maddie. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. And I spoke about COVID there. So what's been happening for uh, Adam Scott? You're on the beautiful sunny coast, living up a good life up there, mate. It's not a bad sp- space to have to hang out. Yeah, on the
1: positive side of things, being home on the Sunshine Coast has been amazing for me. I never get to spend this much time at home. Of course, lots of restrictions. However... The beach has been open, so that's been a real positive. And uh, it, it's an amazing time of year. I never spend winters down here either. We're normally playing in Europe or in the States through their summer at this time of year. So, um, yeah, really been on un- trying to unwind with the family. <laughs> uh, at times, challenging when we're all in the house so much. But uh, it's been really a fantastic experience for us. We're very lucky that we've been able to get back to Australia because I, I have to say, I think, you know, I've got a. I feel very proud of the way Australia's handled this whole thing, and mm-hmm. it's it. There's tough times for a lot of people, and there's tough times to come. But in as far as kind of overcoming this virus, we're right on track. We're doing really well. So, um, you know, I don't need my, many things to feel more proud to be Australian when I go away, but uh, this certainly will will make me
0: feel that way when I do eventually go back. Yeah, that's awesome, and two. Has the water been okay? I know you love your surfing, so does that mean you've
1: been getting in the water? I occasionally sneak out. It's pretty. We live pretty close to the beach here, and uh, you know, just ducking out for an hour here and there is possible in between uh, some full-on daddy duty. But um, yeah, it's cooling down a little bit. I'm I'm a little soft, and I've got the wetsuit on now, <laughs> so if I do go, but. I uh, got some good waves the other day, about a week or so ago. There were some really good waves for four days. So uh, that was fun and it's not messing up the golf too much at the moment. So yeah, uh, ho- yeah. hopefully some more swell to come before I have to head off.
0: And when's that when does that look like for you, Adam? So when, when there's I know the US tour is obviously looking to to kick kick start again. So what is what does it look like for you coming out of COVID and when do you look to move and, and, and get stuck into things I know we chatted about it the other day, but Let's talk about
1: it on the podcast here as well. Yeah, so the golfers, well, for the golfers out there, the PGA Tour, I'm sure everyone's excited to see a little golf this week coming on Thursday. They tee off at Colonial on the PGA Tour again, and things are getting back up and running. So uh, as much as I'd love to be there at Colonial, I'm kind of just... um, sitting it out for a couple of weeks to let them get back in the flow of things. It's probably the first major sport in the United States to start back up again. There's going to be a lot of media attention and, and hopefully a lot of positive stuff happening out of it. But also I'm sure there's going to be a little hysteria and with the kind of changes in protocol of testing and traveling and all these kind of things, I just sit here for a couple of weeks and let them mine out the kinks and hopefully I'll just... <laughs> Come back in as things get a little.
0: Continue to get better. Yeah. Okay. That's not a bad way to go about it. And I heard the NBA sort of announced some um, some restarting plans today as well. I'm not sure if you, you caught on to that, I, but that's that's exciting too.
1: Yeah. Thing. I mean, the thing is, we we all have to
0: kind of restart yeah. and get
1: some things going. Um, you know, it's just. uh it, it feels like we're a little more advanced in kind of flattening this virus right down here in Australia than uh, the United States. And, and with the unknown still of like second waves and speculation, it's, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. in, international travels a bit tricky at the moment sure. and, and leaving my family and stuff like that uh, to go back over with quarantines you know there's lots of lots of little factors to weigh up so i'm trying to make you know the good decisions for me and what what suits me and my family and not kind of get stuck anywhere yeah uh, so so i'd like to give it a couple more weeks for me to feel really comfortable because when i want to when i get over there i want my head to be back in you know competing high level golf and not worrying about you know am i getting COVID? am i getting stuck in america is the thing going to get out of hand here. So, um, you know, I just want to be fully comfortable and I think hopefully a couple of weeks' time uh, to a month, things will sort itself out and I'll have a good idea of what what uh,
0: exactly I can go back and do. Has the, the, the typical, well, what it would seem from our perspective, um, you know, as golfers watching the PGA Tour from here in Australia, it would seem that Adam Scott plans his years over the last few years around the majors. And so that's obviously still a major focus for you in the in what you look to go play in in the back end of the year as well. So still obviously with some majors to come. Yeah, that's
1: a big factor in, in getting me back over there in these current circumstances, uh, for sure. You know, I feel there's a process to getting to win major championships and part of that's playing other tournaments and being competitively sharp, but the majors is a big focus and there are three majors still scheduled for this year. And um, I'll find it very hard to sit back and not participate in them. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to do that. So I'm kind of, Balancing, getting back over there, doing some quarantine, having some practice time, and being competitively ready to play the US PGA Championship the first week of August.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what what's what do you think the Masters will be like? You know, knowing the Masters and the scheduled time of year that it's normally on. And I was lucky enough to go in 2011 and and saw you nearly win there. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember you actually made Eagle on the Friday on 13 and Bads was playing in the group, Aaron Badley was playing in the group behind you, and I was kind of floating between you two the whole day. And, uh, and so I was standing in the gap in the, in the gallery space between 13 and 14, and as you came back down 14, I sort of yelled out to you and said, great Eagle, mate, and you said, how good is this place? You might not remember that, you <laughs> went, how good is this place? Do You love it that much, but what's it yeah. going to be like come later in the year when you go back in a completely different time of year?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I have no doubt about, if the, if the Masters goes ahead in November, like they're planning, it yeah. will be spectacular. I mean, you, yeah. That golf club and its members and the committees of the tournament put on a spectacular show every time, no matter sure. what. And and even under these circumstances, it'll be no different. I, re- I really... I'm thinking positively that galleries by November hopefully yeah. will be back in. I can't I can't really imagine it happening without uh, the, yeah. the patrons, as they call it. <laughs> so, um, but it is an incredibly special place, and things like that, you know, making it making an eagle on a Friday. It doesn't matter what day, but making an eagle there, it's so exciting. I mean, it, it it's a wonderful a little corner of the golf course and the crowd, it's packed everywhere you go and it's such a good feeling. And <laughs> any time something good happens there, it's a really strong
0: memory. Yeah, uh, it was oh, you know, mind-blowing to, to go and watch. And I can't imagine playing. I was going to talk about the majors a bit later on and particularly your win at Augusta, but we're talking now. So let's let's sort of tick this off the list while we're at it. Mm, um, sure. <sighs> The US Masters when you won in 2013, what was it like on that last nine holes on that Sunday afternoon? What's that like when, you know, try and tell the listeners if you can, describe what's that like when it's it seems manic, it seems like there's stuff happening everywhere, there's cheers coming from everywhere and that particular day there was, there was things happening all over the place, um, rain as well. You know, can you talk us through a little bit about
1: the emotions of the back nine there? Yeah, I think um, it is a very intense situation. I mean, if you're in contention, the back nine of a major on Sunday, you know, you're walking down that knife edge on every shot. You
0: know,
1: every shot somewhat feels like do or die. You know, a good shot, you're okay for a knife. Another hole, maybe, or another shot, sure, sure. and then up, oh, no, over here in the bunker, double, and you know the, <laughs> you start crumbling <laughs> it, it's tough, and it is it's one one bad shot can ruin the whole thing at that point it it's It's very high, do you actually intensity. think do you actually think about any of
0: that no, uh, the, no. That's,
1: that's what you learn in like the sure. in the debrief after you've hit the <laughs> shot in the bunker and, <laughs> and make double down eleven and it's no good but. Um, it is very intense, you know, that, that's wet, but you've got to take yourself to that intense point. And, um, I think for me, that particular Sunday, I mean, everything had happened very nicely for me that week. There was a, there was a real calmness and a confidence in what I was doing and we were really on a mission. So I felt I just had a lot of things under control and, and I knew I was in contention uh, for it on the back nine. But, you know, the winning thought hadn't really come to my head. So, you know, 10, 11 and 12 are so, so important because you
0: can rack up a big score easily. Is it relief when you get through those three okay? Like, is there a genuine... Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think, uh,
1: yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of them. I was trying to think, no, no 10's tough, no, 11's tough. <laughs> yeah. And 12 can be a disaster. It just, it can turn out like that. That's what major championship golf is once you get out of position you know it's very important you
0: get your next ball back in position and sure. uh, had you played had you played before you got to augusta like the rest of us as kids had you played that back nine a million times in your mind you know and you're in contention
1: yeah i mean I
0: remember playing it like with a Plastic golf ball with
1: holes up and down my street, you know, hitting at, hitting at the that's telegraph awesome. poles as pins and stuff. Um, it's yeah, it's incredible, and I I, I have thoughts every time I walk from the ninth green to the tenth tee that the Masters starts on the back nine Sunday, you know, the old cliche, the old yeah. One. And every time I walk that, I think that in my head.
0: Yeah, um, wow.
1: And the and that kind of early in the week, that helps me with the goal of like let well get there on Sunday you know yeah get in that position and, and being in being in a position to win yeah so that week I you know as far as my emotions I was really in control of course I was feeling like the adrenaline and the nerves and things like that and and it's very hard to ignore all the stuff happening around you because um, there's constant eagles on 13 and 15 and you know people hitting that close and big roars and groans and (laughs) it's all happening and you kind of know what's going on but I think in time you you learn to just hear it and then you're moving on and you get so focused especially in those moments when you do end up performing at a high level you know the blink it all narrows the focus and it was there that week for sure for me.
0: The you spoke about the roars and I think it's that's what blew me away when I went there, just this, the way the sound kind of reverberates around through the pine trees. But one of the things that really blew me away was a Tiger roar mm. and at the Masters, you know, and it just sounds different. Like you just know, yep. oh, that was Tiger. You know, do you guys feel that or understand? Absolutely. You, know, you hear that as well? Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know where he is on the golf course
1: that is for sure. Yeah, it's incredible. And I guess... I guess the guy who had it before Tiger was Jack, you know, you know, a Nicholas, you know, a Nicholas raw is what they, and then Tiger kind of got that after, but, uh, it is, it's, it's it's an incredible place. It's as close to me, the feeling of playing in a stadium, um, you know, you come, you're up there on at the clubhouse level and then the course all sinks down into the, into the pine trees. And like you said, the noise kind of echoes or reverberates through those pine trees. It's as close an atmosphere as I think I've experienced in,
0: for for a whole golf course. Does, does that, does that make it the clubbing so difficult? Is that what makes it so difficult clubbing you, you, you know, getting your club right on 12? I remember standing there watching bads hit in there and I was standing next to Dar Lynch at the time and, and I looked over at 11 to the left and, you know, 50 yards to the green and the flag's going left to right. I look at the 12th green, the flag's going right to left and then I threw some grass up. I literally threw some grass up and it came in my face. And I was like, mm. oh, my gosh, no wonder they stay here forever, sort of deliberating yeah. on clubs. And is it, is it just the pine trees? Is that why it's so difficult sometimes?
1: Yeah, there's, yeah the pine trees, you know, they form some shoots. You know, I mm. think the most obvious one you see on television is like 18, you know, that shoot out of 18 up the fairway. Well, if there's wind whistling down the 18th coming down that shoot, you know, it's going to create, um, you know, that runs straight across the 15th fairway. The wind can't help but come out of that funnel and pump across there. And, And so it's similar on 12 because the wind comes down that funnel of 13 right into the 12th green. Yeah, uh, and then eleven's not affected by that. That's probably the real wind. You know, they say you should look at the pin on eleven ah. Ah. and play the shot. Pretty hard to do that when the pin <laughs> on twelve <laughs> yeah. is going this way. The pin on eleven is going that way. But but you should probably hit it over the left side of the green yeah, if you if you're seeing that kind of thing. You shouldn't flirt with anything uh, water wise. That's for sure.
0: Oh man, and <laughs> have you watched? Have you watched it back? Many times. I've often wondered, have you watched your win back over on, on, on TV? Like, have you actually watched those last four or five goals many times? I've,
1: I've seen 18 in the playoff a few times. I think wow. I watched it. I did a really neat thing, um, actually. Um, I watched it back with Bruce McIverney next to me, and oh, we, yeah. we discussed it just... Uh, to have on record when it was fairly fresh in my mind because I didn't yeah. want to forget what all the things that happened. And so I, I remember I watched it back um, with him, but I see often in replays, you know, the last couple of holes or the playoff. It, uh, and what's interesting to me, I mean, it's fun to watch obviously, but I really love um, the intensity with me and Steve Williams on 18 in it's either the playoff or, or maybe it's on the, on the uh, regulation hole, like in the fairway talking about where we should hit it. And it's just really great, sharp, concise dialogue. We're both so focused and, it, you know, there was no indecision. It was like, yep, yep, right. You know, we we're really in the groove together and it was re- it's really nice to see that because you know, we'd worked really hard together to get to that point, and it was just like everything kind of came together at the right time. And and, and Steve ended up giving me the great read on the 10th screen uh, in the playoff.
0: playoff, yeah. In
1: the playoff, I said it was a, a cup right to left, and he said it's two cups, which is a big difference. Like, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, it's only, I said it. it's only the masters, we're all <laughs> yeah. hanging on the
0: screen yeah. back here, you know. But, but, but you
1: know, if Steve wasn't sure he wouldn't say it he, he said it with you know certainty and i said you absolutely sure have you seen <laughs> this cut <pup> before <laughs> you know and he said adam he, did, he didn't even answer my question he said adam it's two cups wow and I'm like okay it's two cups let's let's roll the dice <laughs> let's go and in fairness it was an
0: unbelievable read and you you hit it on you felt like you hit a great part there like do you feel like you hit the 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 part of your life yeah. there, like it was perfect down the line, good speed, you know it's just the dream it, part. it
1: was really hit confident, it was yeah. going firmer than I'd probably hit a putt in the tournament there yeah, right. like it was four four and a half feet by that's what I was feeling, so as it was breaking left, I was just begging it to hang on because <laughs> <Go in. laughs> you know i didn 't need a four or five footer to keep this thing going really at that point, um, but yeah, I think um. You know, the putt on 18 felt like
0: a huge putt. It in regulation. Like, the one in, in regulation. Regu- in yeah. regulation. The one we've all practised and pretended to yeah. hold a million times. Yeah,
1: O'Meara, O'Meara hold that yeah. putt when he won, um, you know, and I felt like that was the one going to give me the opportunity to win. I know, I know for, you know, I knew the situation. I didn't mean sure. I'd win, but I felt like it's the moment. And, you yeah. know, that one going in really felt like it it was a special, special part. Obviously, the other one to win was huge too, but it was a little closer. And it was a putt you were always going to get to the hole on 10. You know, yeah. very, very fast down there. But, yeah, it, I I felt like somewhere in my head it was like, this is the first time you've ever had a putt to win a major. You know, just <laughs> roll the
0: dice a little bit. You know, I've, <laughs> gone with
1: the, I've gone with the two cups right. Let's make a proper stroke here, you know.
0: Yeah. And yeah. in she went. And I often I often think about that moment, Adam, both on eighteen and also on the tenth when you won. And I often think, imagine we could take every lounge room in Australia and all the golfers who are up watching and put that noise together of <laughs> and the footage of us all leaping off the couch or wherever we were and put that into one sort of moment of decibels and where would that rank with state of origin, Queensland scoring under the post at Suncorp, (laughs) uh, a grand final at the G, you know, something just epic. And I just would love to have, I'd love to be able to capture that noise because I can imagine, I was at Royal Pines. We'd just finished a Pro-Am there the day before, so it was the Monday after. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of golfers were in that hotel together and collectively screaming and then couldn't believe when Cabrera hit it hit the shot, yeah. he hit in straight after you and we're like, No, you know, and then he hit such an amazing chip. Did you think he pulled that chip shot in uh, the playoff?
1: Yeah, my heart stopped as it got a couple of feet from the hole. I mean it, it had the in look. I was standing off to the side near the bunker and couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like I can't believe it. And it just rolled right over the edge. Uh, um,
0: Such a great which, shot!
1: It was a great shot. I mean, there were so many great shots coming in in that. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing from Cabrera and me—you know—the playoff was really solid golf, really yeah. good stuff. He his part his on, on the Ten. Oh. Yeah. I know. It was, <laughs> it was a couple times my heart nearly stopped. You know, but it was. Um, if you could draw it up a way to win, I mean, yeah, you'd win any way you could, but it was yeah. so good. It was so good. There was such a a real raw atmosphere at the end there because the rain had kind of set in and the clouds lowered down and it got a bit cold and it became like, okay, this is like real golf fans out, you know, walking down, the <laughs> yeah, town, right, right. just walking between the shots. You couldn't, couldn't talk to Steve. It was so loud. Like people, it was like they'd stuck around to see a real scrap out here and they kind of got it. Like it was really good shots into 10. That's incredible shots. Yeah. Yeah. Tough hole. So it, you know, I'll talk my own winner, but it was really, it was really (laughs) fun to be a part of and, and, and have that kind of feeling afterwards. Like everyone was really into it. It's a nice feeling to be a part of that.
0: Is I mean, I think it's amazing to be sitting here talking about it seven years later and I have goosebumps on my legs here listening to the story, you know. And I think what, what sort of perception did you have or I know you screamed out come on Aussie there on the 18th when you hold it in regulation and how big a, how big a deal was that as, a, as an Aussie to tick that one off for an Australian? And I have this other question that goes with this a little bit, is when Jason Day sort of took, took the, the world golf by storm and started to come up at the top end of the world rankings alongside yourself, did that kind of, like a two-part question, did that kind of make things a lot nicer or easier or from a pressure perspective on you feeling like you weren't just on your own anymore at the top end? Uh, So the first part
1: of the question with the come on Aussie, I think the kind of backstory to that is for my entire career going there, which had been 12 years until I won was, that was the question we were asked as Aussies, every Aussie player, every time we went there, when's an Aussie going to win? When's an Aussie going to, is it going to be you? Are you going to win? When's an Aussie going to win? and, (laughs) (laughs) and, I guess it really. Uh, in 2011, when you were there, you know, I was a chance, and so yeah. Jason, Jason came home with a birdie, birdie, unbelievable, and I, and I. Jeff Ogilvie as well, he, I think, was right up there. Ogilvie was up yeah. there. I I was stood on the 17th tee with a one-shot lead and finished four four and lost by two, which <laughs> you can't <laughs> believe. It's, you know, is it just not your time? Do you feel like
0: that? Yeah. Like, in that moment, like, you can't do anything more. No, no. I, I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. Know,
1: and, it, and it's just not going to happen. But uh, so it really started sitting with me. And then it was obviously being asked as that week went on, if I remember, like, Jason and I were right up there and Le- I was playing with Leash on Sunday.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, three of us in the top... Five maybe going into Sunday so we were badgered about it all weekend yeah week. I can imagine and I can't remember the exact conversation but as we hit our shots in 17 uh, and walked to the green Lee started talking to me and we talked wow. about something Australia and so it was just fresh there in my mind again and uh, you know, all that stuff, although you don't think about it, was there and it was kind of like obviously a thing for Australia, but also for Greg Norman, who, who'd who been my hero and been so close there. And it was just, uh, you know, I felt that was my moment to be yeah. the Aussie kind of um,
0: guy yeah. out there, the, yeah. the
1: Aussie hero or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You just touched on Greg there. I, I had it written down here to ask you about that and ask you about your – a couple of things. One is that, you know, coming up, obviously, Adam, you had a, a great tag. We might even um, – yeah, we'll touch on this a little bit more um, in another area. But, well, Greg was your, your hero. Was he why you started playing golf? Like you saw him on TV, you thought oh, I want to do that too. Not not
1: exactly. I'm um, my sure. parents are both golfers, so yeah. um, my dad's a member of the Aussie PGA has been his whole life since he was a teenager, actually. Yep. And uh, I was introduced to golf by my folks, but you know, I was just going out to the course occasionally uh, when when I could. I was sick five maybe four or five going to North Adelaide part three course when we lived in Adelaide we soon moved to Queensland but so you know around that time 86 87 88 mm. Norman was mm. becoming the consistent number one player in the world he was and yeah. larger than life you know charisma had everything going for him he ripped drivers he ripped irons, <laughs> he, he sucked back the tour edition with a six How iron good. That you know, red tour it, edition, the red tour edition
0: bag. Yeah, it was, it was just so. Molding.
1: It was so good, and I think uh, it was easy to get sucked into, you know, watching his style of play, and I was very um drawn to that for sure. Although I played some other sports as a, a young kid.
0: What other sports um, did you play as
1: a young kid? Played a bit of, a little bit of cricket and a bit of Aussie rules.
0: Okay. Yeah. You
1: you you're a yeah, a Crows fan, right? I'm a Crows supporter. Yeah. Can we? Can we?
0: Can Please I have to touch on that at the moment? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not at all. We're not no. talking about that.
0: Um, no. Hey, I'm a Broncos fan. So 59. Yeah. Help. Let's um, leave the footy out of this then tonight. <laughs> um, you're often you're often tagged as a Queenslander, Adam Scott, but born in South Australia. How do you view yourself? Uh. Yeah, there's no way but to
1: upset somebody in this answer. No, I <laughs> I always – I'm announced from Queensland every time I teared up in America, yes. and I've lived here since I was seven years old, so I, I feel very much like I've grown up a Queenslander. All my golf pretty much was played in Queensland, so I have strong ties to South Australia, obviously, but – um you know, I'm very great much answer. a Queenslander. I, <laughs> I follow, you know, I follow Queensland in the origin. I support the Broncos too. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm very much a Queenslander. I live, I live here when I'm, when
0: I'm home. And the AFL affinity, the, you know, with Adelaide, was it just because as a kid you were a fan down there? Or like obviously the Brisbane yep. Lions have, have come along, so you would have been living yeah. in Brisbane when the Lions were formed yeah. and had great years and... Sure, sure, and uh, you know, very tempting
1: to hop on the Lions bandwagon in the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I was playing a little footy in Adelaide, and I supported Norwood before the Crows were even formed, and then the Crows came along, and that was kind of my my roots were there with the footy, so sure. I, I stuck with it. Good uh, man. Yeah. Trying <laughs> to stay true. I'm not. I'm not talking. <laughs>
0: Wagons, just yeah. Yeah, no, that's Come good. Come on, crows, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so let's talk now about. Okay, we we sort of touched on your, your childhood there and parents who played golf, and so you got into it through you know sort of sort of being captured a little bit by what Norman was up to. You went out of school and went to college golf in the US, um, mm-hmm. in Nevada, no University of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Las Vegas. Right. What was that like? And do you still see that as a great pathway for, you know, our Aussie elite golfers who are coming up to to maybe look to still do college golf in the US? Absolutely. I, I think it is.
1: It's probably gotten better since I was there. Right. I mean, uh, if you look at everyone on the PGA Tour that's come on the PGA Tour in the last 20 years, I'm pretty sure... I could say 90% of them went through some part of college in the United States. It's a bit of a breeding ground at the moment. It's yeah. at a very high, high standard. Um, there was nothing that I really ever thought I would do, go to university. It wasn't really the thing yeah. that was happening so much when, when we were leaving high school. There were incredible programs with uh, Queensland and the Australian Institute of Sport in Victoria. All, there were lots of options, really strong um golf associations for us to lean on competition and and training and things which you are all a part of you know yes. we we're talking about however you know there there's this period for young guys leaving high school you're probably really not good enough to play on a tour, most most people, and you're also not mature enough uh most people physically, either you're still growing, like when you're 17, sure. and so there's some time that a lot of thing uncertainty and a lot of things have to happen, but you have to improve and challenge yourself, continue. And for me, it was an opportunity I thought to go to America and see what it's all about. The dream, by the time I was 17 and finishing high school, was the PGA Tour. Of course, you sure. know Tiger had just turned pro like the year before and tiger mania was taking off and it was pga tour pga tour that was yeah. it and it was a door to america for me is kind of what i thought and let's go have a look and um interestingly though it was probably the it was the hardest year uh looking back in my last 20
0: years yeah, right. since
1: leave since leaving australia i didn't adapt well to it i was a fish out of water over there. I, I struggled golf-wise and that made me just, you know, miserable like it is when you're struggling yeah. golf-wise. And Why were you um, struggling golf-wise, Adam? I don't know. I, I think the environment changed, you know. Sure. I might I have had it all a bit too easy back here. You know, things were going my way and all of a sudden I was in a very new environment with no support really around me. Um, Although the coaches and everything over there were very supportive, you know, I didn't have any kind of uh, sure. relationship with them. I just floated over. Um, and I didn't play very well the first six months and hardly made the team. And I came home for Christmas and went back over after a bit of a kick in the ass from my dad, I think. And, you know, uh, right, get back over there and get your head down and figure it all out. And I did a bit better
0: in that next um, six months over there were you having doubts in that in that period of time where there doubts about the big dream becoming a reality
1: um i i don't think so i don't think i ever had this expectation that i'd just go over there and uh walk onto the pga tour out of college sure i just I just was feeling like it's more not for me. I mean, it might've been a defense mechanism. I mean, it's just not my thing or, yeah. Uh, and, and that's okay. Except you you either have to walk away or you have to prove yourself at yeah. that point, you know, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't walk away. And I think, you know, in fairness to my parents, they, they I came home and complained and they sent me back over there and said, <laughs> these are life lessons. And that's how I look at that time. And even though, um, you know, I left after just over a year there, it was a lot of learning and I didn't even realise it straight away. But looking sure. back on it now or at some point when I did, I learned a lot about myself and, uh, and did that growing that I needed to do probably as a, as a young adult and matured
0: a little bit. Mm. It's amazing. Mel Michael, um, Brisbane Lions defender, you remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, with the big fist in the back line there was Justin Leppich, but he was my guest in the podcast episode number eight. And he actually had a similar story in that he was drafted to Collingwood and and ended up um, in his coach's office about to tell the coach he was heading back to Brisbane and he was quitting. He was still a rookie, he mm-hmm. hadn't played a game in the in the AFL yet. And before he could get that out, his coach said, we really think you're doing a great job and We've picked you for your debut this weekend, <laughs> and so he was about to tell him he was quitting, and and here he goes. So very similar in that you came home and you weren't enjoying things, and and you you got it from your parents that was like, hey, come on, you know, some to go back and put your head down and your bum up. Was you you when you started playing until you headed to Europe first though, right? From I did, yeah. From from college golf, was yeah. that why was that? Why did you do
1: that? Well, at the end of my time in college, I got introduced to Butch Harmon. So okay. I'd i been there about a year and I got introduced to Butch Harmon. I was playing better and uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Crow, who's an yeah. Aussie, but he started yeah. Cobra Golf. Yeah. He was just checking up on me over there at that point and following and, and making sure I'm doing okay. And he said, you know, you're doing really good, but I want to introduce you to Butch and get you out there to see if you want to less- have, have a lesson and see what he has to say. So I started working a little bit with Butch and things progressed well. And I, I felt like my days were numbered at college Butch didn't know me that well and he thought, oh, you better prove yourself a bit more. It's not like you're winning every college golf tournament. Yeah. Um, but I got working hard and I think I kind of won the support of Butch over uh, with my work ethic up there and, or something. And uh, he said, all right, I can support this, but you're not good enough to play the pj Tour. I mean, he pre- he's pretty, pretty blunt. <laughs>
0: he yeah, right. said, you're not
1: ready. Um, you know, He said, I've been talking to Greg Norman and he knew Greg was my hero and stuff. And he'd coached Greg when Greg was winning a British Open championship and stuff. So he knew I'd listen if he'd say that. And he said, I've been talking to Greg and we both think you need to go and play Europe. so And and kind of learn your trade a little bit over there. So I was like, oh, okay, Uh, that's that's good for me. I I was happy to just kind of be thinking I'm turning crow and keep whatever momentum I thought I had going, going. And um, I got, I did that off the back of a couple of good results as an amateur in European tour events. I'd finished, yeah, I, I shot a really low score at the Lakes in the Greg Norman in a, in a round. And then that got me a couple more starts in Europe. And I finished fourth and third, I think, consecutive weeks in European tour events as an amateur. And that was like, okay you know, this is looking like you can compete at least and, you know, give this a go. So that's what I did. And and again, a bit like, uh, I look back on my three kind of first years in Europe as the most fun years of my Era. career. Uh, it was an incredible time because some of the absolute legends of the game were still playing the tour full time. So I got to play with Sebi. Um, Woosnam was still on tour. Faldo was still on tour. um Sandy Lyle was still playing a lot, uh, played a lot with the Laugh the Bell, which is amazing. Um, and some of the real journeymen over there who'd, who'd grinded through the 70s, 80s and 90s on the European tour, you know, real journeymen um, that that taught me a lot, actually, in that time. And it was a lot of fun as well. So... It was it's really fun memories, but it was a real learning process. And in fairness, the Butch and Greg, it did me the world of good to play over there. I got to moonlight in some, a few events in America in that time as sure. well. But um, it was good to be on a get a card and be on a tour and work towards something over there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and and to have played with, as you said, some of the legends, absolute legends yeah, in our game in our era. I mean, yeah. yeah, I was talking to Rummy the other week on a on a chat on Instagram Live, and he spoke about Seve, and just the way he spoke about Seve was unbelievable. So yeah, he, the way Greg
1: had that aura in Australia, Seve had that aura almost everywhere, but certainly, certainly Europe, you know maybe even more so it was it was like he was the god of the european tour and you know everyone just cleared apart what are you going to do we'll just let him do it <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, yeah that's, that's amazing and from a from a europe the pga tour perspective how do you see the differences then and maybe even looking at what it's like now so european tour is obviously quite global um mm. In, in where they play. but you know back then, what was it like European tour versus um, PGA tour as far as standard goes and, and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, it was still at a very different standard back then, but the European tour was very European focused and you know I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but there was three events in Spain and three events in Germany and two events in France and uh, Italy. Switzerland, you know, there were a lot of events actually in Europe. Yes. uh, Whereas now, you know, there's Asia, uh, Middle East, you know, it's a very global tour. Even Australia has events part of the European tour now. Um, So, and that was part of the fun of it, you know. Yeah. We're all kind of, well, not all of us, but a lot of the English-speaking guys were basing in London and you'd fly in and out of London every Sunday and you're back out on tuesday to another european city you're staying in the city You're bus to the course you're back in the city and and it was a lot of um great golf and great times and and it was just not as serious as where it's all gone now and i think the european tour is much more serious but but it was still about you know making a living but the the super professional aspect hadn't quite kicked in over there right. yet, so right. you know there 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 was some beers after rounds, and you know nutrition wasn't really being looked at, <laughs> and all kinds of you know you were just making do with what you what you had. Guys were rooming together a lot, yeah. You know, that's just how it was.
0: Yeah, very different. And when did you when did you decide it was time to to progress to the US? you know, um, and you played yeah. your way there, you played your way onto the, you got yourself more starts through your world ranking.
1: Yeah. The world ranking was a really great way to move into um, the United States and getting in the world events and a few other events by being in the top 50, but I actually ended up getting my card in America. I played on a sponsor's invite in the first ever Deutsche Bank tournament in 2003, and I won it.
0: Wow. And from
1: that, And from that point, I had a card in America. But I played, that was 2003, and I actually played both tours for the next five years after that, through 2009. So I travelled a
0: lot. And, Uh, sorry, just, just for the listeners, what does that entail for you to be able to, you know, how many events did you have to play back then to be qualified for both tours?
1: Yeah, so the minimum is still 15 in the United States, you have to play 15 events and back then I think it was 13 in Europe so there are a couple overlaps like the majors but it was still a pretty full on schedule especially if you wanted to compete in both because when you're in Europe playing you're giving up starts to guys who only play in America so you had to it was and after 2009 I just found it like there's been too much travel for too long and it's hard to be competitive on both. Mm. Uh, And I just ended up focusing on the States and it was a good time for me to do that because I felt like I pushed it for too long.
0: That's the end of Part A with Adam Scott. So much awesome stuff. I think I could listen to him talk about the Masters all day long. I love it. Part B doesn't disappoint either, so make sure you hit the play button to get the rest of my chat with Adam. Enjoy.